morning, everybody. Good morning. Yeah, you guys can clap. I'm not assuming it's clapping for me. I'm just assuming that it's clapping in general because you guys are excited. And listen, I got to tell you, 9 o'clock was really a really bland service. Not because of the band. They were amazing. Um, but it, we're not giving coffee today. Which is like the first time I think ever Crosswalk has not offered coffee. We apologize for that, but we do want to be a little bit a part of the solution. And when you guys drink coffee, you're kind of slobbery. So um, <laughs> just want to keep you away from each other. Um, no, that was, a, that was a call that was made. So I've got two big announcements this morning. The first one being, um, for a few years, in fact, prior to COVID, we were, um, we were talking about putting together a gathering where we bring lots of people from all our different campuses together and um, teach people how to church plan, teach people how to do our level groups, as well as just, you know, hear their stories and all that sort of thing. I'm happy to announce that we are finally doing that this year. We are putting on our first, hopefully annual, Crosswalk Conference, which we're pretty excited about, yeah. So, um, so it will be um, October 21 through 23, we are going to put it together with Crosswalk 19, which you know is our big block party and our anniversary celebration. So people are going to fly in Friday night. We'll have keynote addresses and worship experiences, breakout groups, all that sort of thing. Then on Saturday, everyone can come and worship with us and then enjoy our block party, which will be amazing. And then on Sunday, we'll finish it off with another um, series of breakouts and breakfast and some keynote stuff. There are our registration is going to open for this January 24, which I know is early, but we want to get a lot of people in as early as we can as we begin to create all the different speakers that will be there and everyone who is going to be presenting. So January 24 is when registration opens, but we want you to put in your calendars October 21 through 23. Now, there will be a registration fee, and you're like, I go to church here. We know. We're still going to charge you. So get in on that registration fee. Um, here's the thing. We're, we're opening it up only to 200 slots at the beginning. Um, if, if the numbers grow and we really hit those numbers pretty quickly, we may open it up to some more um, opportunities. We've been trying to figure out if 500 people come to our conference, what do we do at church? Do we have to put in another service? Nobody's trying to do four services on Sabbath. Because I'm really hungry by the end of the third. Just so you know. So we're trying to figure that out. Anyway, go to, the, go to Crosswalk's website, crosswalkvillage.com. You'll see a link to, um, the, to the conference. We are celebrating momentum. So there's three things, three kind of values that Crosswalk has been expressing as it's grown over the years. One is belonging, of course. The second one is momentum. And the third one is aesthetic. And so we're going to be leaning into momentum this year and talking about how you build momentum, how momentum grows, what the Holy Spirit does, and how it helps create momentum as we look to grow churches and grow the kingdom of God. So if you're part of the Crosswalk ecosphere, if you're watching online, we'd love to have you come. If you've never come to Crosswalk before, this is a great opportunity to come and hang out with us here at Crosswalk Redlands. If you're part of one of our other campuses, We'd love to have you here and learn about what it is that you're doing on your campuses. If you're part of the leadership teams on other campuses, we'd love that as well. So that's a big deal. We're going to be doing a lot of work on it, and we're going to need a lot of volunteers. So if you really don't like registration fees, just put that there. Just leave that there. You can do what you want with it. Um, okay, here's the second big announcement. And this one is actually, this 
pretty cool. Because of the way that you have continued to give towards Crosswalk Church, both locally and particularly with tithe, we had the largest tithe year that we've ever had last year. You guys are amazing. It's about $1.75 million that you've given in donations. Thank you. Yeah. It's amazing. Now remember, tithe doesn't stay at the local church. Tithe goes up to the conference, and then they do a lot with it, like they pay our pastors and that sort of thing. Not all of our pastors right now. Some of ours are locally hired. But particularly, we have three budgets, and they just upped it to four. So we are now going to hire an executive pastor for the Crosswalk Church, which is really exciting for me um, because that's some of the work I don't want to do. No, I'm just kidding. But we really need to... So. Crosswalks this, you know, this church, and we've got, in Adventism, we've got these institutional churches that when things turn over, nothing happens to them. But in some of our smaller churches, and we're hardly one of the smaller churches anymore, but there's not this sort of sustainability sometimes. So when a, when a pastor leaves, people have a tendency to like, oh, we're not sure, and they leave the church and sometimes fall. We've experienced that in Crosswalks history. From about 2010 to 2014, it was a time of, of shrinking. And then God has blessed us as a time of growth since then. But we want to make sure that we, and I hate this word, so I'm not going to use it particularly, but the idea is there. We don't want to institutionalize Crosswalk, but we want Crosswalk to be sustainable. And that means we've got to create the right infrastructure. We've got to create the right processes. And as we duplicate to other sites, to other states, and now even to other countries, it's really important that we have the opportunity to do this right and I'm just not that organized. I'll tell you the truth. Also, all the stuff you have in your hands, you know, the preaching, the calendars, the, the series guides, that's stuff that we create in-house, and I do the majority of that work. And so I'd like to lean a little bit more into the content and the creative side, and we'd love to get somebody who's doing that. So we're working with our conference um, to find names. I've been, I've been listening to sermons, and we're beginning to look at resumes and that sort of thing. It's really exciting. So I'm just going to ask you for one thing. I just want you to pray that God brings exactly the right person to crosswalk for exactly the right time because I really believe that that's part of our maturing and our growth and we'll be moving into the next iteration of what crosswalk is supposed to be and we'll do it right and create some sustainability. Are you with me? All right, awesome. You guys are amazing. Why don't we pray and then we'll get going with the sermon. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you. Thank you for bringing all these people here. Thank you for all those who are online, who stayed home. Lord, we know there's a ton of people with COVID. So if you're suffering with COVID now, we pray for hope and for healing through that. Hopefully it's not too bad. And um, Lord, we just ask that you just effervesce in this room, that you just be here and we, we sense your presence and we experience your love and your grace and your joy today. In your name I pray, amen, amen. So um, yesterday, not yesterday, last week, for a pastor, it feels like Sabbath is like every other day, just so you know. Like, it's here again already? I had no idea. Um, so last week, we talked about a broken witness. This series is about witness. What we want this year is we just want to experience the revelation of God, and we want to be a witness to that and tell the world about that. That's what our whole plan is this year. And last week, we talked about what it's like to be a broken witness and what you do with that. And we saw from the example of the man who was born blind and who Jesus spit on the ground and put it in his eyes and he went and washed in the pool and we had that experience. Today, we're talking about joy and how we witness through joy and how joy is exacerbated and grown in our fellowship and with our relationships with each other and with God. So I'm gonna start with this question. Can you remember a time when you had maximum joy in your life? I mean, when you were just just almost ridiculously joyful, not just happy, let's be careful, right? Because happy can be a little bit of annoying sometimes if you're not careful, especially too early in the morning. Not just happy, but joyful. I mean, 
overwhelmed with joy. Can you remember that time? I remember the first time I went on the roller coaster Colossus at Magic Mountain. Now Six Flags Magic Mountain. I don't know what those flags are all about. When I grew up, it was just Magic Mountain. And we got there and we went on the Colossus. And Colossus was a rickety old wood roller coaster to which they used to, they used to say, it's the largest wood roller coaster. I don't know why that's something to brag about. That means it's the most unsafe roller coaster on the planet. But I remember being in there and it was, you know how in real new roller coasters, like you lock in and you're not going anywhere. You're like hermetically sealed to that seat. Like you can't move. That, this was that little bar that went click, 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 click. And if you put it one down too far, it would cut off all the circulation in your legs. So you, would, you had to be, make sure you had a little wiggle room and it would shake a little bit. And I remember we started to go up and my dad was there and he's like, oh, this is exciting. And I was like, I don't know if this is exciting. I don't want to die. And as we go up and it's, you know, it's rickety. It's moving like this. You can hear, you can hear the wheels because the wheels are like those old skateboard wheels, I'm pretty sure. Like blown out ball bearings. And it's going up and it feels like there's someone down there like, and you're like, where is that guy? It's going up and I was getting excited and we get to the top. And then something happened that I never thought would happen. It starts to go down. We were in the middle of the train, right? Because I didn't want to be, I'm not ready. I was not ready. I was young. I was not ready to be on the front of the train. We go down, it starts to go. And that old Colossus, when it would start to pull forward, it would take those middle cars and they would jump. I swear they were in the air because you'd go, I remember as we flew, just pure unmitigated joy, like, I'm flying, this is amazing. And then the train hit again, and it felt like my back was broken. It was not a great roller coaster, but I remember those moments of kind of unmitigated joy, right? Maybe it was when, maybe it was when your child was born and you looked at this kid and you had tunnel vision and this like crazy myopathy where there's nothing else in the world and you're like, this is my child and it's joy. The poet says the world is too much with us, but one of those moments that I'm talking about is where you don't think about anything else, all the anxiety, all the stress, all the everything that you've got in your life just goes away because all it is is an incredible sense of overwhelming joy in what you're experiencing. Man, isn't that great? Right? Those are just amazing. But we should probably come back to reality because we don't really get to live in those spaces all the time, right? It'd be great if we did, but we don't really get to do that. It's not reasonable to think that we can always be that full of joy. I mean, in fact, hoping or thinking that we should be sometimes leads us into into some good things and some bad things. I was, I was cleaning my garage, and I have a little TV in my garage, and I, I put on Netflix, and there was, this, there was this documentary called The Alpinist. And um, it's really great. It's about this guy who climbs, climbs mountains and, and huge rock faces and that sort of thing. And if you're a fan of rock climbing, you probably saw that, um, the movie that came out a couple years ago, Solo, right? Which he, he was free soloing El Cap. And he did all this like very serious, you know, calculations to make sure he knew everything he did. This guy was different. This guy in The Alpinist was completely different. He would just walk up to a rock. And I'm not, I'm not talking like, like, a, like a rock, he would walk up to a mountain of granite that's thousands of feet tall and just start climbing. Just flash climb it. 
no ropes, no nothing. And he had pictures from his GoPro 1,400 feet above the ground. And he's just hanging on, just enjoying it. And they interview him, and he's like, it's just pure joy when I'm up there. And I'm like, you seem to be confused between joy and fear. <laughs> They're not the same thing. But, and he's just like, it's pure joy, it's pure joy. And that's what he chased, right? That's what he chased his whole life. You want to know what, how his life is? You should probably watch the documentary. I will not give it away. Um, sometimes it's really good stuff that you chase. Sometimes it's really bad stuff. The one time we played in front of the largest audience that I had ever played in front of when I was in the band, we played in front of about 17,000 people, and it was just incredible. And then we signed autographs for four hours because that's just how, you know, amazing we were. They were a bunch of teenagers. They didn't know who was what. They were like, you were on the stage. We signed it. And I remember as soon as we left that, there's all these people around, all this energy. It's really great. We rented this RV for this little short tour that we did. We went from all this, thousands of people around, being, you know, feeling like the center of attention. There were other people there that were much more famous than we were for sure. And we, I remember going to the RV and sitting down. And if you've ever had an adrenaline headache from something that you've done, take that like times 10. The letdown is incredible. And I remember, I remember thinking, sitting there, we were driving from Sacramento, and we were driving back down to Southern California, and I remember thinking, man, I want to chase that feeling. I want that. That was joy, like that much energy that I want. And it was the first time I thought, I understand why people who are in this industry often get caught up in really bad things with drugs and alcohol and that sort of thing, because they're trying to chase that feeling that they have that goes away when you walk away from the venue. Right? We don't really feel like we get to live that joyfully all the time, or that joyously all the time, perhaps I should say. But we understand this. While the Christian life is not always joyous, it can be joyful. It can be full of joy even in the midst of really difficult things. And that means that we can react with joy for what God has brought to us, even through the difficulties and the struggles that we've been given. And so we're going to study from Acts chapter 3, and it's a story that you all know. And as soon as I start to say it, you're going to begin to sing it with me. So it starts like this. Peter and John went to, yeah, you know the song. Peter and John went to pray. He, they met a young man on the way. We're going to exegete that, all right? So just so you know. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. How many of you go to church at 3 o'clock in the afternoon? Okay. All right. Well, 3 o'clock prayer service. And you know this story. It continues, as they approached the temple, a man lame from birth. Now remember, the blind man last week was blind since birth. And Jesus was there, so they asked Jesus, who sinned? Was it this man's parents or was it him? Now, Jesus is gone at this point. He has already been resurrected and he has already ascended to heaven. So we're in Acts of the Apostles, chapter 3. And so they, um, there we go. <laughs> My notes disappeared for a second there. You guys scare me. And so, um, so the same, the same, the same information is there. This man was lame since birth. He was being carried in. So he had a little bit of a, he had a little bit of a social network that would bring him in every day and they would put him somewhere and they sat him down. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one they called the beautiful gate. It was relatively close to the temple. So people would walk by there for all the different services that they had. So he could beg from the people going into the temple. Now remember, this is the social safety net that they had in first century Israel at the time. So you weren't going to be taken care of unless you could bring in some income through alms and that sort of thing, through the giving of charity. And so he had a good seat, it seems like. 
right? And he could make a little bit of decent cash and he could continue on. But you have to remember this. The reason why he was at the gate and he wasn't in the temple, because if you were not complete, you were not accepted into the fellowship of the temple. You couldn't go in. By the way, this also included women. We're going to talk about that next week. This week, we're talking about this lame man. But just a little foreshadow. Next week, we're talking about um, women and their witness, which is important. So anyway, they couldn't go in. But I want to ask you this question. I think it's, a, it's an appropriate time to ask this question. Who do we not allow into the temple because we see them or we deem them as incomplete? Who is it that you're not interested in going to church with? Who is it that you don't bring into your fellowship? Who is it that you're not sure they're okay because they look different than you, they smell different than you, they act different from you, they love different than you? Who is it that you don't think should be in the fellowship? Because I don't know if you know this, but churches still have rules about that, about who can be a member and who cannot be a member. And they're not really benevolent sometimes. I mean, we can look at a lame man and be like, well, yeah, of course we'd let a lame person in. But there's other people that we don't. So maybe we need to look at this and see that, well, let's continue. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money because this is standard practice. This is what he, he does. And like we don't have... We don't have a robust system of, um, of beggars in this country. Some cities have more than others. But like when I went to Jerusalem the first time, I, we had to walk through a gauntlet of beggars because that was part, again, of the social world that they lived in. It wasn't great, but it was there. And I remember being very scared. And then after a few years, it didn't bother me anymore because they were just there. That was part of it, right? So this is, again, standard practice. Peter and John looked at him intently and Peter said, Look at us. Now, this is important. This is different. Because if you've ever been around someone who's begging, you know, and we've all probably done this. Somebody's on the sidewalk. You're in a city somewhere. Somebody's on the sidewalk and they're asking for money. They've got a little sign out or something. Most of the time, the way people give is by walking by and just tossing some coins and continuing on. And while that may be helpful for a moment, we're seeing a different model here. But we're seeing in Acts of the Apostles, so the, the things that were notable enough to be written down that the apostles did is that they stopped and they engaged. And this is where everything changes by looking into the eyes of the man and having the man look into the, their eyes and having a conversation. His world was about to change. Are we still showing compassion when we give but we look away? Perhaps we've made it too easy. Just give to this charity or that charity and those other people will take care of the work. Every Thursday night, we feed the underserved here. And hopefully in the second quarter of this year, we'll be kicking up our legal clinic, our medical clinic, and our dental clinic this year so that we can serve those who are less fortunate than us. If you have never come to serve, come to serve on a Thursday night, even if you've given to that ministry, I will ask you, was it really compassion? Because when you go on Thursday night and you sit with them and you pour water at their table because they're being served that way, and when you smell the incredible food that is made for them by Becky Matico and her team, when you realize that this food may be better than what you're going to eat tonight, 
because she's a really good cook and you may be eating ramen noodles when you go home. Like, it's a different experience than you writing a check sitting in this room. I want you to understand that and I want you to know that. And I encourage you to get involved because this is the model that we're beginning to see here. So the lame man looked at them eagerly expecting some money. Now, I love this commentary a little bit. It means that this man thought the best of people because they had been generous. And even though he was discouraged in a temporary thing, his lameness, he was encouraged in something that was a little bit infinite, the grace and generosity of people. By the way, Martin Luther King said exactly that. He said, in small things experience discouragement, but in great things, but in infinite things always experience hope. Right? Peter said, I don't have any money for you. I don't have any silver. I don't have any gold. But I will give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Now, this must have been both discouraging and bewildering to this man. Right? A couple things happen. The first thing that we need to notice is that this is one of the first stories of healing that we have since Jesus is gone. And we realize that Jesus healed by his own authority... Peter healed by invoking the name of Jesus. I've worked with a lot of different people over the years in churches, and every once in a while, someone will come to me and say, God has given me the gift of healing people. And my answer to them is, no, he has not. Because you can't heal anyone. The only one who gets healed is by the power of the Holy Spirit, invoked in the name of Jesus. So don't ever get too cocky that you're the person who fixed it. It's always going to be God, especially if it's a supernatural healing. Right? But you got to think about what Peter just asked this man. He had been lame since birth. He didn't know how to use his legs. They didn't work. And even if they did work, he didn't know how to use them. So what was asked of this man was actually laughable. I mean, it was ridiculous. It It was idiotic to think that this man would know how to do anything, especially having to do with walking. So I'm going to ask you this question. Has God ever asked you to do the laughable? Something that is so far out of your wheelhouse that it is actually hard to fathom that you could even do it? I mean, God asks us to do things that don't make sense all the time. In fact, if it's not ridiculous, is it even God at all? Does he just ask you to do what you're really good at and it's really easy for you? I don't think so. If it's not beyond your wheelhouse, if it's not beyond your ability or your knowledge base, is it even God asking? Why would God ask you to do something that you're already doing? God pushes us beyond what we think is possible. I I bought this machine a couple years ago. It's called a Peloton. I'm sure you've heard of it. It wasn't because I was shamed by my wife like that commercial. It was because I wanted to get healthy. And I've used it. Don't think that I haven't. I have looked at the calendar that it, you know, that it delivers to me every time I turn the thing on, and I have not been particularly consistent, but I have used it. And it was a new year. I don't know if you know this. 2021 just ended. 2020 was... Tw- 22. That's next. It, it was starting. It feels like we're going backwards, though, a little bit. 2022 was starting, and so I made the commitment. I made the resolution. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get on this thing every day. I'm going to close the rings on my Apple Watch. I'm going to make it happen. I can use those two technologies together. It's very exciting. Um, and so, and I want you to know this, I made it past the national day of quitting your resolutions, which is January 12. You know that, right? They say January 12, everyone's like, nah, I'm out. I'm not going to the gym anymore, 
right? Well, this is in my garage. So, um, so yeah, I made it past. It's, it's, what is it, the 15th today? Yeah, I haven't done it today, but I have to be at church early. So we'll see how it goes. Um, anyway, you know, there's, there's, there's instructors that I like, instructors that I don't like. There's this one whose last name is Lovewell. <laughs> kind of have to use that one. I have to... Do. But I've noticed with all the different instructors that I've used, there's always this moment where you, you're, you know that you're beginning to hit that, that wall, right? And they know too. They, they, they say stuff like, now you may be feeling tired. And you're like, I am feeling tired. <laughs> and I never do live ones. I have no idea when they are. So I just do recorded ones. And I'm like, how do they know even in the recording? And like, you may be feeling, but push past it. Go further than you've ever gone. Do something you've never done before. Which is weird because all you're doing is pedaling on a bike. So really, it's something you've always done before. But, you know, you get the idea. They're like pushing you past. Like, go further than you can. This is kind of what it means, right? This is what God asks us to do. To go further than we've ever done before. To look silly. To do something laughable. One of my favorite texts is 2 Samuel 6.22 where you have um, David after he has danced naked in front of the ark and he's being chastised by, you know, his court. They're like, hey, man, you can't do that. Like, you look ridiculous. And he's basically saying, well, listen, I'm excited. I got joy in the Lord. I'm going to dance. And then he says, listen, I am willing to look even dumber than this. I'm willing to be outside of my wheelhouse. I'm willing to do the laughable and even be humiliated. in my. I'm even going to feel stupid myself because I'm following God. After David danced before the, before the ark, he uttered these words to those who would criticize a king for stepping out of his wheelhouse. God's always going to ask you to do something that's hard. He's always going to ask you to do something that's unreasonable because he's God and he knows how to make the unreasonable reasonable in your life. And those of us who have followed God into places we didn't think we should go and into experiences we didn't think we could handle have a testimony that's pretty powerful because we had to live by faith, not by competence. And when we do that, we know we're existing in the kingdom of God. So I love this, because Peter takes the lame man by the hand, because he recognizes like the, the, physiology, the physiology of this is gonna be difficult for this man, um, and even the physics of this is gonna be very difficult for this man. So he, he picks him up by the right hand and picks him up. As he does this, his ankles and his feet were instantly healed and strengthened, right? He helped the man due to the fact that he had never walked before. We need to be walked through the miracles that happen to us sometimes by people who understand that miracles can happen. So this man, and you know what part of the song we're getting to, he jumped up, stood on his feet and began to walk. Then he was walking and leaping and praising God. And he went with them to the temple with them. The man only needed a little help. And then he began to jump. But a couple of things happened that are worth mentioning. First of all, he immediately began to worship God because he recognized that credit needed to go where credit was due. He wasn't, he wasn't even thanking Peter and John. He was worshiping God. Then the second thing he does, he immediately goes into the temple. You see, this was not a, with them. He goes to the temple with them. This was not a drive-by healing. This was not a throw some coins into the bucket and continue on. This was, I'm going to engage with you. And they picked him up and they're walking with him and they're going into the temple with them. You see, because he was reconciled back to his community. Because anytime there's a revealing of God that creates healing in your life, you're going to be reconciled back into the community that that brokenness tore you away from. And this was the community center. And he had never been allowed in, ever. 
And I bet he was super obnoxious. I mean, it says he was walking and leaping and praising God. That's not how we walk into church. We walk into church sort of dignified, right? Well, maybe not here. But in most places, right? And I'm sure walking into the temple, they wanted to be dignified. He was probably a pain. But I bet his joy was infectious because he was giving praise to God for the healing that had just happened. And it even says he was a bit of a spectacle. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. There's no necessarily commentary on that, but I guarantee you it was loud because it's noticed. It was infectious. It was loud. It was full of joy. I'm sure it was obnoxious. But the reason why it was is because our praise should echo our blessing. And this man was incredibly blessed. Want to know why we praise loud here at Crosswalk? We praise loud because we believe we have been blessed greatly. And so our praise will echo our blessing. It's just a microcosm of what we have received from God. It is our way to recognize this touch of heaven in our lives. But see, of course, they're looking around like, who is this obnoxious dude in the temple? What's going on? When they realized he was the lame beggar and they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely, I love this word, astounded. That's a good word. When was the last time you were astounded by something? And I mean for real astounded. I mean where you're stuck just standing there like, I can't even believe this has happened. Maybe it was a gift that somebody gave you. Maybe it was watching a, a sleight of hand magician and you just can't figure it out and you're astounded. Maybe it was something much bigger and greater than that. But when was the last time you were astounded about anything, let alone about what God can do for you and through you? Why have we become so complacent? I said it last week and I'll say it again. We expect very little from God. And apparently, the people at the time expected just as little as we do. They were used to God not moving. You know, in that intertestamental period, there's like five to 700 years where God just didn't say anything. And then Jesus shows up, right? So they'd gotten very used to giving lip service to the idea that they believed in God, yet living as if they were agnostic or atheist. Does that sound like the church of today? That we say we believe God is going to do something, but we function as if God has never done anything. And maybe that's why we live unastounded lives. Maybe that's why we've become so complacent. We have to ask ourselves this question. If we believe in a God who is a God of miracles, we sing that song. We sing the God of miracles. We sing, you know, about him, him standing in the way for us and changing everything. Should miracles even surprise us? Oh, they do. Blessings are always seen as the exception, not the rule. And maybe this is why we live so often so joylessly. And a miracle certainly surprised those around that day. They were astounded, not just at the power, but probably because they didn't expect anything to happen. So what they do, they all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. They're still engaged. They're still holding him up. He's still getting used to his new legs. And here comes a teachable moment because he has just become a spectacle. 
So Peter saw this opportunity and he addressed the crowd. Now, this is a problem. A preacher just found his pulpit, right? Everybody's standing around. He's like, mm, I'm going to teach. I'm going to preach a little bit. Settle in. He says, people of Israel, what is so surprising about this? And why do you stare at us as though we made this man walk by our own power or godliness? For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he's calling into, into, the, into the sermon their history. For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all of our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. This is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release him. He reminds them of the legacy they come from and the mistakes that they made in missing Jesus. And then he, he kind of leans in a little bit more. You rejected the righteous and holy one, and instead you demanded the release of a murderer. Maybe this was too soon to be saying this, but he wanted to get this off his chest. He'd been holding this in for a while. Right? I bet this stung them a bit. But before you think it was just sour grapes and he was using this opportunity to slap them around a bit, he said, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses to that fact. When we talk about witness, we can never forget that there was a group of people in an upper room after the crucifixion who had an experience with God that not only changed them, but changed the world. And not one of those people, all of whom but one died a deeply tragic death, not one of those people recanted what happened in that room when Jesus showed up after the resurrection. We cannot deny the power of their witness. Our world changed because of it. Our calendars changed because of it. And so they said, listen, we are witnesses to the fact that God raised him from the dead. Here's the witness to the resurrection. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name healed him before your very eyes. He's driving the point home. He's giving credit where credit is due. He's giving witness to the simple facts like we talked about last week. And then he says, friends, I realize that you and your leaders did this to Jesus and it was done in ignorance. It's an indictment, but yet he's letting them off the hook a little bit. But God was fulfilling what the prophets had foretold about the Messiah, that he must suffer these things. You know what he's doing? He's taking from that one particular instance and he's showing them how the universe was ordered so that they would play a part in the redemption of the world, even if it was a negative part. He said, you didn't even understand what you were doing. But what you were doing actually needed to be done so that God's glory could be manifest in Jesus. And then we attest to the resurrection. And I got to say, what I love about this is that, he, and the story goes on, right? I'm not going to go through the whole sermon that, that Peter preached because it's long and I would encourage you to go read it. But what I love about this is that he didn't leave them just with the indictment. He gives them an invitation. Your witness, whenever you witness to the revealing of God that you've experienced in your life, it always has to come with an invitation. It always has to come with a, 
this is what I've seen about God and this is what God has revealed himself to be in my life and I want you to know it too. That's not like a formal invitation to like, now we're gonna Bible study so I gotta make sure we've got 28 weeks before we get, like don't do that, that gets weird. Just invite people to be in community with you as you reveal God through the way that you live your life, through the way that you love other people and through the joy that you have. The reason anybody was listening to Peter wasn't because they knew who Peter was. The reason they were listening to Peter is because of the man's infectious joy. He was walking and leaping and being super obnoxious and he wouldn't be ignored because he had experienced who Jesus was. And because of that, everybody came to listen. Everybody came to experience who God is. Joy is an incredible part of the witness that we give. Whether you're lame, whether you're broken, or whether you think you're doing just fine, when you experience that revelation of God, you've got to choose joy. And we don't always choose joy. I was, I was fixing a pipe in my garage, and I'm not really much of a plumber. I'm an okay electrician, but not a good plumber. And I told my wife, you know, we should get a plumber to come. And she said, I have faith in you, <laughs> which is a bad idea. And I broke it. And, and what I, you know, when you break something doing electrical, you might die. When you break plumbing, you're just gonna get all wet. And so I broke it and it's now hitting me. And I had a choice to make. Do I choose joy in this moment? Or do I get really angry in this moment? I chose joy, because there wasn't much else I could do. And then I called a plumber and experienced the pain. But I say this because when, when God reveals himself to you, it can be frightening, right? It can be, it, can be that, it can be that journey up the Colossus with that ratcheting sound creating all this anxiety in your life. But when God finally does reveal himself to you, it is that unmitigated joy of going down the hill, of those, those wheels lifting off the tracks for just a moment, that feeling of weightlessness, that sense that I must be flying and God must make this happen. Yeah, you're gonna come down, you're gonna hit the tracks, you're gonna feel all that, of course, but choose joy in those moments. Because joy is not just infectious and attractive. Joy is the only way we make it through. And this world does not have enough joy. Every headline we see is negative. Every article we read, it's so hard right now. So it's going to have to be something that you choose particularly to live in. Because God is revealing himself to you each and every day by the people you meet, the songs you sing, the experience you have, the scripture that you read. God is revealing himself to you. So in the midst of that revealing, choose joy. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father. God of joy, just descend on us today. Be here, be present in our worship and invigorate us. May your Holy Spirit push us towards joy. And Lord, may you can just continue to reveal yourself to us so that we might have a witness to the world. 
Lord, we're here. We're open. We're available. Step into our experience so we can tell the world about yours. In your name I pray. In the name of Jesus, the Nazarene. Amen. Stand up and worship with us today.